And turn around and say hello to someone and then be seated. Amen. It is good to see you out tonight. I know that there are some unsubstantiated predictions about snow. Perhaps by morning we'll have snow. Or as I was explaining to Sharon and Fran earlier tonight, that I am going to make a prediction. I can give you a 100% prediction that somewhere in the world there'll be snow between now and tomorrow. Now they say there may be snow here. We're going to have rain tonight and colder weather. And if you mix those two together, you might get in the mix some snow. Now whoever's praying for it, cut it out. Stop it. All right? I, I don't like snow. Now snow is all right on a day off. But when we have to be working and doing things and getting about, it just doesn't help to be in the snow. And if you've ever been around people who are not used to snow, who are now living in snow country and are trying to drive in that snow, you understand what I'm going to tell you now, that, uh, that that's a terrible thing. They ought to know better and just stay home and uh, not mess with everybody, and you know how that is. Well, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. A great song uh, written by John Yates. He wrote the words back in 1882, and it wasn't until 1891 that he submitted the manuscript to none other than Ira D. Sankey. Ira Sankey was the music man for uh, D.L. Moody and went all over the world singing, playing a little pump organ, you know, little pedal pump organ, and singing in a very, uh, an amazingly strong voice. There is at least one uh, existent recording of that man back in the 1800s. And uh, he, he could really, uh, he had lungs. Back before the days of amplification, they would, they would hang a, a board of oak or some other uh, heavy wood over the head of the speaker in a large tabernacle. And, uh, and the speaker would bounce his voice off of the oak wood or whatever wood was hung there, and it would resound throughout uh, a large building. Some of those buildings would hold 10,000 or more people. There were even some Billy Sunday tabernacles that had 30,000. I think the one in Scranton, Pennsylvania had 30,000 uh, seats and, uh, and they had no amplification other than that. When <coughs> Sankey or any other singer with uh, Billy Sunday, it would have been, uh, been Rhoda Haver, when they would sing, they would not always have the uh, joy of singing into a perfectly balanced uh, amplification system, and they would have to project. And uh, so some of us come equipped with our own projection system. Amen. Amen. Faith is the victory. Great uh, subject for a song. And we have scriptures that are taken from that and Ephesians uh, as well. Ephesians uh, chapter 6 about the whole armor of God. And we have taught on all these subjects previously. Now, tonight we're going to be back in uh, the book of Colossians where we have been for some weeks as we talk about the subject of faith and how important it is. We know faith cometh by what? Hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. That's right. We need to be in the Bible. Get into the Bible until the Bible gets into you. Get into the Word of God until the Word of God gets into you. Faith also is the substance of what? Things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It says in Hebrews 11, 
1. And then in Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. We have to be faith people. We have to be people of faith. If we're going to please God, if we're going to live successfully, that's what we must do. We are in the, the book of Colossians, which was written by the Apostle Paul from prison. Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church at Colossae, a church that was near the church of Laodicea and the church at uh, uh, Ephesus. These were churches that were all in modern-day Turkey over in Asia Minor. Uh, this church was beset by a problem that we're experiencing today, and that problem is the mixture of truth and error. It's wonderful to have the truth. We know that as Jesus said as He was praying in John chapter 16, sanctify them with thy truth, thy word is truth. The, the word of God is absolute truth, and it is the source of salvation and sanctification and everything, Christian growth that we experience and praise the Lord. The problem arises when either we don't get into the word, the Bible just becomes like a talisman, we carry it around, we strut and uh, wave it around and say, I believe the Bible. Yeah, but we don't know what's between the covers. That's one, one extreme. The other extreme is when people say, well, it's not enough, so we're going to add to it this good thing that I heard or that good thing that I heard just the other day. My wife hooked me up with a link this week, and I was very sad to see a person who is writing books, and it's about positive thinking, positive affirmations, not wrong in and of, of itself, but, but making that the message and then adding, throwing a little Jesus in every once in a while. That's a real shame. That's widespread in our time. Uh, if, a, if a pastor can get away with mentioning very few things from the Bible and in the midst of saying good things otherwise, uh, most congregations will let the pastor off light. In fact, they'll even say, that was a good, that was a great message. That was a great message. And that's sad because the Bible, the Bible is the Word of God. My words are not important. God's words are. In this book of Colossians, we've got uh, several divisions. The first chapter, as we have told you, is about the deeper life, the deeper life. The deeper life doesn't mean we go off the deep end. The deeper life means that we, we dig downward first and foremost and become grounded. As I have told you, and each year we reiterate, that it's important for us to be worshipers first, then workers. It's not unimportant to be workers, but we should first be worshipers before we're workers. Everybody ought to be a worshiper. Everybody ought to be a worker as a result of that. And we want to get our roots down deep in what? In the church? Well, it's good to be faithful, but that's not it. We want to get our roots down deep in Jesus Christ, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The second chapter where we are now is building on that first chapter about the deeper life and is speaking to the subject of the higher life. Uh, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him. So our walk is a better walk than if we weren't rooted as we are in the first chapter 
in Christ. All right, so now we're in the second chapter of the book of Colossians. And the Apostle Paul is writing to warn them not to get sidetracked on things other than the simplicity that we have in Christ. And he says in verse 8, as we read last week, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, that's the love of earthly wisdom and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, and this could be a reference to the Judaizers who were present and the Gnostics that were there coming together and mixing in the things that they believe with the things that are about Jesus Christ. After the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. When you're facing a challenge, do you go to Christ first or do you go to everybody's advice first? For in Him, that's in Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We don't need religion. We've got a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And ye are complete in Him. That means that we have everything we need in Jesus Christ, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. We have a new life. Our focus is on that new life that we have in Christ. We can live positively, victoriously, in and through Christ, but we don't start with ourselves and just talk about how good we are and I'm unique and I'm outstanding and and, uh, then add Jesus to that. It is not by positive affirmation, no matter how great our personal qualities may be or our mental attitude regarding ourself may be, but it is this, please put it down. What makes us great, what makes anything about this life fantastic is the position that we have in Christ. The position I have in Christ makes me who and what I am tonight. And that's it. And without Him, as Mylon Lefevre has written, I could do nothing. I would be nothing. Without Him, I'd surely fail. I've I've got to have Jesus Christ, and not as an add-on, but Jesus Christ as the essence of the life that we live. The life that we're living is Christ. For to me, to live is Christ, Paul says to the Philippians, and to die is gain. How true that is. In the scripture that we first read tonight, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are in Christ. That is our position. We are in that relationship. It is an inexhaustible, unbreakable, unchangeable relationship. The moment we receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, for then and thereafter, forever, there will never be a change in our status. Our status will always be that we're in Christ. For then and for thereafter forever, God will look at us through Christ. He will see us as Christ is. He will see us as justified. 
as if we never sinned, sinless. Now, even though we have daily struggles, that has to do with our fellowship or our sanctification, but not anything whatsoever to do with our relationship. The relationship is settled. How many of you understand that and believe that? How many of you out there? Amen. Amen. I am justified. I am settled. I am set. I am in Christ. And that's never, ever, ever going to change. The Colossians were being confused by teachings which were somewhat contrary to what I just said. We have some Colossianism in certain Christian churches or re religious organizations today. We have some Galatianism, which is they, they, they keep going back to the law. Some have some Galatianism. They're legalists. And they, they connect with doing stuff and continuing on in order to maintain their position. And there are some folks who are guilty of Colossianism also. And in Colossae, they were adding to, and all the things they were adding were in addition to Jesus Christ. That's absolutely wrong. We need to be real careful about that. You can have some one-on-one -on -one influence with people, maybe at work or at school or in the neighborhood, maybe relatives, in-laws, friends, acquaintances, and that's good. But if their influence extends the other way and they're trying to weaken your foundation, be very, very careful about this. We are complete in Christ. The Bible says so. How many of you believe that? We don't need anything else. We're complete in Christ. Everything else we're doing is not in order to be. It's because we already are. It's not in order to be saved. It's because we already are saved. I'm saved, I'm in Christ forever. Praise God for that. All right, so that kind of puts a different, a different twist on things tonight as we read from our scripture. Let's begin with prayer. Father, I pray that you'll help us to get across to folks exactly what we're looking at tonight, what this all is about, what it means to us. Help us, we pray, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, all right, we're looking at some verses, and we have two signs or symbols given to us here. Remember that signs and symbols were for the purpose of Old Testament Hebrews looking forward to Christ. That's the book of Hebrews. It tells us what back there in the Pentateuch, Leviticus, and the rest of Moses' books were all about, all of these different things. When you're reading through the Pentateuch, and you come to a passage, for example, about the ashes of the red heifer. And you say, what on earth has that got to do with me now? Or you read about the specific uh, dimensions of all of the different pieces of furniture and accoutrements that were there in the tabernacle, then later in the temple. And you read about the veil, and you read about the courtyard, and all those things, and you read about I was reading it today, those, those little, those, the poles and the little, the little ouches on the pole. Have you ever wondered about the ouches, you know? It's not what your little grandson or granddaughter gets, you know, on their finger. They get an owie, an ouch, but something totally different. And 
reading all those things, sometimes you can kind of get overwhelmed. And we've, we've been spoiled because, as I said when I started out, I'm so glad I'm not an Old Testament Jew under the law. That's all been completed in Christ, every bit of it. Amen. Amen. You say, well, what is our relationship to the law? Well, the law was given to point us to Christ, the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And the Old Testament law shows us our need of a Savior, our inability to save ourselves. But the law is also very important as far as an organizational tool. And those people needed to be organized. They needed to be set in the proper boundaries by the God of order. And that's why we have the law. And it's still wrong to murder. And it's still wrong to commit adultery. And it's still wrong to take people's things that aren't your own. Those things are all true. So when somebody says you don't have to keep the law, well, you don't have to keep the law like a Jew would have to keep the law under the law. But it never was a plan of salvation. It was something entirely different to show us we're looking forward to Jesus. So all those, all those things that I've just mentioned were signs and symbols pointing ahead to Jesus Christ, who at that time had not yet come. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and chapter 1, we have Paul speaking to the church at Corinth about wisdom and about signs. And it says in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now what does that mean? Well, high on the list of to-dos, like you have a to-do list at home or a to-do list at work, something that you've got to get done. All right, on their list, first thing on a, a Greek's list to-do would be you know, to just kind of pause at the base of the, 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 the altar to philosophy and to wisdom and just, you know, just bask in all of that. And they were really hung up on that, so much so they got in the way. And the Jews, all those signs that were supposed to point them to Jesus Christ, they got really hung up on those. Jews seek after signs. They were always asking Jesus, what sign would you give us? He said, I'm not going to give any sign to this this generation other than the sign of Jonah the prophet. That is, that Jesus would die, be buried three days in the grave like Jonah was three days in the whale, and then rise from the dead. That was the only sign uh, when they asked him for a sign. We can easily get sidetracked on other things too. And that is what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here in Colossians. He's saying, we've got some signs and it's important for us to keep a balance about those signs. The first sign, of course, is the Jewish ritual of circumcision, a surgery that took place. And in that time, in that dispensation, it was to differentiate between Jews and non-Jews. And there are lots of cases, I'm not going to get into it, but you understand what I'm saying. This was designed to, to separate and differentiate uh, because God was calling out for himself a particular people. First it was a, a, an individual, a family line, patriarchs, and then a, a nation. He built a nation and brought that nation out of slavery into the promised land. And, and out of that nation, out of that line within that nation, came, came our Savior Jesus Christ, and the, the Word of God came from them, and, and so forth. So we have, we have all of that. The... Important thing to remember, though, that none of those things in and of themselves get you any 
spiritual mileage whatsoever with God. An Old Testament Jew that had undergone circumcision was not guaranteed heaven because of that. He still had to have what? Faith. Faith is the victory. Sacrifice that's brought, given to the Levitical priesthood to prepare for sacrifice and is offered there on the, the great uh, brazen altar out front of the tabernacle and of the temple later on. Uh, that, that burnt offering that goes up in smoke and so forth didn't save anybody. The blood of bulls and goats didn't save not one. So not, not one person was ever saved because they offered a burnt offering. No, they had to have what? Faith. They had to have faith, trust in the God that they were offering this to. And they understood this was something that would lead up to the one who would come that would be the Lamb of God, the final offering. And after that, there wouldn't have to be any more burnt offerings, no more lambs to die, etc. This is important for us to see when it comes to what Paul is saying. He's saying, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He is saying that's a sign, that's a symbol, but something really, truly spiritual has occurred with regeneration. Uh, you hath he quickened who were dead, you were dead before in trespasses and sin. And just like that's the separation from the flesh. This is, this is something that happens spiritually. The moment we receive Christ, we have that same experience spiritually. And we're no longer compelled by the flesh or controlled by the flesh. But now we have the option as new creatures in Christ in this, in this new spiritual arrangement to do right. As long as we are yielded, we can do right. We can walk right, we can obey, we can be pleasing to the Lord. There it is. Whereas before, we could only make an attempt and there was a, you know, a semblance of, of order in our life, but we would keep falling back because we could not control that thing. That thing was no longer, uh, that thing was, was over us and controlled us. We were controlled by the old sinful flesh. The old sin nature had us. But now we have experienced a freedom from that in Jesus Christ. It's not been made with hands, but it's been made spiritually. Everybody here who's been saved, everybody who's listening and viewing, and everybody who will view this in the future or listen on this podcast, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you now are part of that brand new economy, that brand new arrangement in and through Jesus Christ. I like that. I like to read about that. Faith is the victory. Think about those words that we sang when we came in tonight. Encamped along the hills of light. We've got the, the, the military uh, backdrop here, the metaphor. Ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies against the foe in veils below. Let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. The Things that used to defeat us periodically, incessantly, habitually, no longer have an automatic hold or control over us. 
Why? Because of the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. You say, how can I experience this? All right. This is a discipline. Are you listening to me? God has done and provided everything for us for us to be victorious. But we will not be victorious unless we apply it. For example, over there, you got all your spiritual armor piled up. What? This is just common, ordinary sense. It has nothing to do with getting or staying saved. You're saved. You receive Christ, you're saved. But over here is your spiritual armor. What do you have to do? This is a, not a tough question. Not rocket science. What do you have to do? You have to go over there, pick it up piece by piece, and put it on. How often? Every time we go out to battle. When do we go out to battle? Every time. Every day. Every day we need to put on the whole armor of God. We have another song, uh, put on each piece with prayer. We need to put on each piece with prayer. Onward Christian soldiers. We've sung it so many times. We need to do that. So in our morning devotions, we put on the armor. We cover every part of us that needs to be covered for battle. We pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we go out to battle. Now, the foe that we're facing is three in number, the world, the flesh, the devil. Even together, they cannot defeat the Christian who has put on the whole armor of God, done it properly, gone out to battle, got the sword of the Spirit, and we have prayed for the fullness of the Spirit. If you've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18, you're going to have the victory because the world, the flesh, and the devil are no match for what God has provided us. Every single day you can expect victory. You say, well, why do I keep stumbling? Sometimes we keep stumbling because we fail to avoid, to abstain from the very appearance of evil. We get around it. We get tempted by it. You read the book of James and it tells us how that temptation will take us and will slay us and destroy us and that's it. That's why people keep falling back into habitual sins. They keep falling back because they're, they're getting their focus off of the Lord. And uh, we've said that so often. We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. And they, don't, they, don't, they get distracted. They don't stay on track when it comes to this business of daily living, walking, journeying for Jesus, whichever metaphor you, you wish, wish to choose. All right, so knowing this then, we, we have everything potential to be victorious, not just occasionally, but all the time. If we stay attracted to Jesus, not distracted from Him, we're not going to stumble. We've been actually told in the Scripture that if we do that, we will never fall. Doesn't the Bible say that? If you do this, you shall never fall. That's it. Unfortunately, nobody has ever set that record yet. But we have the hope that every time we do stumble, we can confess our sins, get right with God, get back on track, get the armor on, get filled with the Spirit, and go on. Why should we? Because it's better than just sitting there because that's what the devil wants. So we move forward. And at the end of that literal 24-hour period, when you're getting ready for your... Uh, sleep at night, you can pillow your head and you can thank the Lord that He helped you to be victorious that day. You can confess and say, Lord, I stumbled three or four times, but 
Man, the rest of the day it was glorious. It was fantastic. And when you, when you kick the devil in the teeth, it's just that way. Don't you love to do that? You say, oh, don't say that preacher. He's going to come after me. I pray to God that we are worthy of the devil coming after us. Come on. Amen. Amen. Don't worry about the devil. He's a defeated foe. He's already been beaten. We just need to realize, we need to recognize what we are in Christ. Now, there's another sign or a symbol here. In verse 12, it says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, were those Jews in the Old Testament circumcised? Yes, it was a literal, physical thing. It happened in the material world. And did it represent something spiritually? Yes, it did. Separation, <coughs> a disconnection from the world and a connection to the God of the Bible, the God of Israel <coughs> in the New Testament, <coughs> the victory that we have daily. It's a picture of that. As we put on the whole armor of God, go out to battle and filled with the Spirit, we are victorious. Now, <coughs> the baptism that's spoken of in verse 12 is also a sign of something that has literally happened. I know what you're going to say. Well, baptism, the first, first thing that comes to mind is spiritual baptism. I, I'm not going there first. I'm going to go to water baptism. Not that water baptism saves or keeps us saved. It's, it's not the removal of the flesh, but it is, a, it is a statement, a declaration, a confession of a good conscience toward God. How many of you have read that? Peter wrote those inspired words. We know that baptism, water baptism, doesn't save, keep us saved. I've, I've had people so confused uh, that have said to me, uh, yes, I'm saved because I was baptized when I was, they give an age, a place, a time, in some baptismal pool, some church by some pastor, or maybe it was after special meetings. Frequently, it was they were 12 years of age. They were in special meetings. It was the fourth week in July. That's when they always had revival meetings from you know, down the, down the way, and, and that's when all the kids decided to get baptized afterwards, and they did it as a profession of faith. And many of them were truly saved, but they weren't saved because they got baptized. Baptism doesn't save anybody. It's not the washing away of the filth. It is a confession. It is a good confession. It's an answer of a good conscience toward God. So let's take a look at the water portion of it as it is symbolized for us. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Now we always will show kids when they want to be baptized or new converts, adults, we'll show them how Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3. Remember reading about that? If you're reading through the Bible, you just, you got that on day 3. Uh, it would have been January 3rd. If you're reading through the Bible at that rate or, or one of those days. And and we find that Jesus came all the way from Galilee down to Judea to Jordan to be baptized of John because John was the only one in the whole world at that time who was authorized by God to baptize. So Jesus came and said, Suffer it to be now, for it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. It was a picture of something. Jesus was not a sinner who had repented and was coming to be baptized to show that because he was not a sinner. He came to fulfill all righteousness so we would see His example. And He would be showing what He came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. And that is to die, be buried, and rise from the dead. Look at me. To, look at me. To die, to be buried, to rise from the dead. That's it. 
That's in Matthew chapter 3. And when he was baptized, we have the Son of God in the water. We have the dove coming down, the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father's voice speaking out. We know the Trinity is, is true, is real. But in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, uh, where Paul is talking about our power in the Christian life over sin because of what has happened with the, the spiritual realm. He says, Know ye not that so many of us, verse 3, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His what? Death. That's right. So, baptism is the picture of what? Death. Therefore we are what? Buried with Him by what? Baptism into what? Death. That like as Christ, there you have the word, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All right. It is absolutely true that we have in view spirit baptism, that which we have in our experience in being saved here, but we are, it's hearkening back to our water baptism, which pictured these things that we've talked about. So water baptism is a reality when you get saved to let folks know on the outside that you've been saved on the inside. We get baptized in that tank back there. or Maybe you got baptized down in the creek. I don't know. But we get baptized and we get buried, immersed, submerged under the water and brought back up to picture resurrection. None of that, the application of water or the act of going under the water and coming up or the words that the preacher said, None of those things have anything to do with saving us or keeping us saved. All of those things have to do with picturing something, symbolizing something. Just like the Lord's Supper doesn't save us or keep us saved, it symbolizes something. These are symbols, S-Y-M-B-O-L-Y-S. So back to Colossians. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. So here Paul is using an Old Testament symbol and a New Testament symbol. These rites, R-I-T-E-S, these rites to picture for us what we have, here it is, in Christ. My life is and your life is the Christ life. That's what we have in Christ. Yes, those things are real experiences that are illustrations. And what we have in Christ is real also. How do I know it's real? First and foremost, the Bible tells me so. Secondly, I've experienced it, but you have to take my word for that. Hopefully you see some of that in my life, but hopefully if you don't, you'll take my word for it. That's it. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Now, what we see, the true meaning of these symbols having to do with victorious, positive Christian living. It would be easy for us to lose sight of the fact that apart from Jesus Christ, none of this works. None of this works at all. For example, when a person comes into the waters of baptism and I say, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Uh, do you, are you going to heaven? Do you wish to be baptized? And they say yes in the affirmative to those three questions. And then I have them turn sideways and put my hand behind their head. And I put my hand like this and they grab on. And I put my hand over their nose and 
put them under the water, and I say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, to walk in newness of life. It is possible, even very likely, that even after doing that, which is a symbol of what Christ came to do for us, what has happened in our life, and what's going to happen when we rise from the dead and we have a new glorified body, all those things are being pictured. It's still very likely that that day, before, I mean, before your hair is totally dry, you're going to think a thought, say a word, have an attitude that's a sinful thought or attitude. It's going to happen. Why? Because we still have the old nature. We still have the sinful nature. Everybody here understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be a defeatist, but I am telling you that what we do, what we do is obey the Lord. We follow the Lord. We, we walk in the light of His Word. We wear the armor. We are filled with the Spirit. And we do that as faltering, failing, sinners saved by grace. Our position is never altered, even when we stumble five times, ten times in a day. Our position is still solid in Christ. But our victory will be more consistent as we stay with eyes focused on Him, attracted to Him, not distracted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. How many of you tonight are glad that we've got such a wonderful Savior? Say amen. amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in that message rang a bell with me, made sense, it touched my heart. Slip your hand up high. Come on. Amen. Amen. How many of you, God helping you, you would like to be more successful, more victorious. You'd like to stay attracted more to Jesus, less distracted by the world, the flesh, the devil. I got my hand raised. How about you? Amen. Amen. Isn't God good that he gives us another chance? And uh, tonight we can do that. We're going to have an invitation. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want you in just a moment, to pray from your heart to God if you have never done that. And just ask Jesus to save your soul. Let's make it simple right now. Just pray from your heart to God and mean it. Dear God, I admit I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. And take me to heaven when I die. Now, if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up? Anyone at all? I prayed it. And I meant it. I really did. All right. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing a verse of a.